Our scripture reading this morning is found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, you are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I have loved this service. I have loved having our students from Blair coming and playing with us. It's, it's been so good. As we open up, for just a few moments, God's word, for the last time in a series of messages we're doing on letters that Jesus himself dictated to seven churches in Asia, I hope you'll take out your worship folder if you have one and look at that section, What Did You Hear?, from the Lord, because Jesus keeps saying, if you have ears, hear what the Spirit says. So today, as I, I'm speaking and opening the Word, I want you to listen carefully and make note of what God might be saying to you and what you're hearing. Uh, young people do that as well, and children, even if you don't write, what, what some did, and I got a number of these after the service, they were better than what the adults did, I think. You can draw pictures. You can draw pictures that sort of give you the idea of, of what you're hearing from God today. And I'll be at the middle door if you want to bring them by to me. I, I got some really wonderful ones. Maybe, maybe I'll show them uh, next week. Well, you know, I lived years in Chicago. And one of the best places in Chicago is Navy Pier. There, there's one really unusual building or room there in Navy Pier. And it's called the Smith's. Museum of Stained Glass Windows. It's a stained glass windows museum. Usually you just see those in churches like we have at the back of our own church. But as I was thinking about this message, I thought of one stained glass window that's there on Navy Pier 
that comes straight out of the text we're looking at. So I'll put it up here for you to see it. It comes out of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And you can look and you see Jesus standing outside the door. There's not even a, there's not even a doorknob to get in. And so you can almost hear from Revelation 3.20, and you heard Wilma and Gabriel read it earlier. Jesus saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and, and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in to him, and I will eat with him, and he with me. Um, what do you think that verse is talking about? Just You don't have to say it, but just think about it. Do you hear Jesus saying something to you personally, saying, I'm ready to come into your life. Uh, I know everything about your past. I know the shame and guilt you may feel. I, I love you with an everlasting love. I'm willing to come in and to forgive anything that is in the past and give myself to you and walk with you and make tomorrow different. Do you, do you hear him saying that? I'm standing at the door. Just open up, open up your life. Uh, and I'll make a difference. And if you've never done that, I, I pray you'll hear his voice today. So that, that's a part, I'm sure, of what he's saying here. It's powerful. It's beautiful. But there's something else that I really want us to get at, and, and that's a, with us gathering together as a whole church, that he was writing this to a church gathered just like us, having a worship service that was in a city in Asia called Laodicea. And it was a wealthy church, well-known, successful church, and you can always picture they were having a church service just like we're having. They were having great music and all these things were happening. Uh, the message got preached up there. And they thought, we're doing church and we're happy with what we're doing. It's the way we've always done it. And Jesus is saying, you're doing church, but I'm not even there. You're doing it in your own strength. You're doing it in your own power. You're doing it the way you've always done in the past. I am standing at the door. You're not letting me come in. But I'm willing to come in and make a difference. So he dictates this letter to them. And you heard some pretty hard-hitting parts of it, didn't you? This letter to them, to this successful, perhaps the most successful of all the churches we have seen of those seven in Asia, to the wealthiest of them, and yet it's the only church that he has nothing good to say about them. Oh, I'm just telling you, I'm praying that won't be true of us. Because God has blessed us enormously here at Lake, don't you think? And yet sometimes we can say, oh yeah, we've got it. we can do it. We can do it and we'll just do it the way we've always done it. But God's not even here directing us and leading us. And I am praying that doesn't happen. So let us listen carefully. So let, let's start by thinking of what Jesus accused them of. Essentially, he's accusing them of going their own self-directed ways that they're not really letting him come in and he's the creator of the universe the ruler of the universe and they're trying we're trying to rule our own lives at that time and in that what he says to their church and to any church we can do some good things in our own strength but they probably will have little if any eternal value all right We've got to bring him in if our lives are going to really count for eternity and that verses 15 and 16 uh, get at this here's what he said so I know your deeds, I know what you're doing, but what I know is that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, you're, you're neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus saying this, just, just remember that. 
Now, I think this is one of the most uh, misunderstood passages by the American church that we find in, in, the, in the New Testament. Because You know why it is? Because when you and I in America uh, talk about being hot or cold, it has this broad range of meanings, and we often think it means hot or cold emotionally. Because you're not passionate, you're not hot or cold. Why is it better to be lukewarm than cold, you, you start wondering. And people are so confused about what he's saying here. It's because we use that thing for our emotions. We even use it... For the way people look, high school, boy, that girl is hot. That guy is hot. Well, that's what we say, but that isn't the way Jesus meant it. They didn't use it that way in his day. When, when, when he talked about water being hot or cold, do you know what he was talking about? This is not hard. Uh, water being hot or cold. So let's see if we can get at what he's, what he's talking about here. Let me show you a map of, of where this city, Laodicea, was. Because some people think about these cities in the Bible are like Middle Earth in the Tolkien trilogies. It's a, they're real cities. See, this is where it was. It's, it's in Asia Minor, what's now Turkey. You, you see Laodicea. That's where the church is. Just up there to the north is Hierapolis. And, and just down there is, is, is Colossae. So listen with me for a moment. You see the city of Colossae. It was about 12 miles uh, from uh, Laodicea. And it had, and I've been there, so I better show you a picture of me actually, so you'll know I've actually seen this city. I'm there, there's Sung Choi. I don't look very pastor-like. Do, do you think I look pastor? Now which one is, which one is the squishy guy and which one is Sung and which is me? You'll have to, you'll have to try to figure that out. So we've been there. There's not much in Colossae now, but Mount Cadmus is above. And there that you get these snow caps that are there. And when it melts, it sends these streams of cool, clean, flowing, refreshing water. Uh, people would travel to Colossae just because of the refreshment of the water. So it was great and it was good for the refreshment of a person. Now, not too far away uh, to the north was uh, Hierapolis. It was a larger city, and I also have a picture of that when we were there. I'll say, look at that. Now, that's not snow. Those are minerals around there. And what you had there are, were these hot mineral springs in Hierapolis. And you can imagine the people who would go to that city would go and like to bathe in the streams, and it was there good for, uh, for, uh, for healing. So some of our old aching bones, you could just want to pop into that right now, don't you? So, so the water there was hot. And it was good for healing. Now we come back here to Laodicea. It was the richest of all the cities. It had everything but one thing it didn't have. It didn't have any water supply. And so they had to pipe the water in. Now I've spent time in Laodicea too. I have a picture of me uh, preaching uh, there in Laodicea. And uh, there, there are heads of uh, Lake Avenue church people that are there. I was hoping we'd get one of those squishy guys showing up right, right now. Uh, to see. Well, anyway, you can see that right there. Now, Laodicea had to pipe in its water. It piped in water from Colossae, and it piped in water from Hierapolis. And you still see the pipes that are there. It was quite an amazing system, though it's 2,000 years later, of that water coming in. Okay, you're with me, right? Can you imagine that when um, cold water has been piped through these kind of pipes for seven miles, by the time it got there to Laodicea, it had a lot of sediment in it, and it wasn't very cold. And you can imagine, when all of that water was piped in from Hierapolis, by the time it got to Laodicea, that hot water wasn't hot anymore, and it wasn't just minerals, it had a lot of other sediment and stuff in it as well. 
And sometimes those pipes would come and they were so close to one another, the, the water got all mixed up. I have one more picture just to show you how that, what that happened. Let's get that picture. There it is uh, up there. So you can see. So what happened? And, and you, there's still letters where they complained that the citizens would complain about this. They would go to the water supply. They would take a drink. And it was so disgusting that they just spit it out. Now, when you see that, you see what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you have become, by leaving me out, you have become like that lukewarm water of your city. Uh, you're ne- neither cool and refreshing, uh, useful for, for bringing the fr- refreshing message of Jesus to the world because people need to know that Jesus loves them, don't they? And you and I are to be witnesses of this, but for them, uh, they had become so self-centered and maybe they thought if I talk too much about Jesus, uh, they, people won't buy my stuff or whatever they did. Their lives had become self-centered, self-directed, and they weren't bringing the cool, refreshing message and fulfilling the Great Commission, which is we have the privilege of making disciples of all people groups. And he said, on the other side, you're so much living for yourself that you don't use what you have to bring blessing to people. Hot water is to bring healing to people. But if you just consume it on yourself, you don't bring any of God's healing to the hurting people in your community. So this is what he's talking about. I wish you were one or the other. Then your life could make a difference. Because he's created us to have our lives count. So I have tried to retranslate. I've, I've done a Weibrightian paraphrase for you. So here, here it is. This is what I think Jesus was saying to them. So I, I wish you were more useful in serving what my father is doing in this world. Either hot, like the water of Hierapolis, that heals those who bathe in it. Or cold like the water of Colossae that refreshes those who taste it. Instead, you are a lukewarm mess like your own city water that makes those who drink it want to spit it out. Pretty strong words, don't you think? So that's the way I paraphrased it. But some, you know, I meet with some of our younger pastors on Tuesday morning and and I think sometimes they think I use way too many words. Maybe you do too. Uh, But Pastor Jeff Leo uh, said this. He wrote this out. Jesus was saying this. You're not good for drinking. You're not good for healing. You've become useless for God's service. And so, I mean, the question that comes through the ages to us as we gather here in a similar kind of a service as they were having is, has God blessed you and blessed us in such a way so much that our lives turn inward, we're... We're satisfied with directing our own lives, depending upon our own strength, so that essentially we don't have eyes to go out and courage to go out and represent Jesus and to bring the love of Jesus to the hurting world that we have. That's the accusation. Uh, Derwin Gray, he was a former NFL player. He's now a preacher and he, in a church called Transformation Church. And one of his values is this. Jesus wants you to live a missional life. The kind that invites others to ask you why you are the way you are. And that why you are the way you are comes because we bring the refreshment of Jesus and the healing of Jesus to those he brings across our paths. All right, got to move on quickly. So what's the problem here? There's a danger. They were in a danger. And I think the danger is this, that when we are successful... 
when we possess a lot of education, a lot of resources, there is a spiritual danger. I mean, materially, physically, and so forth, things may be okay, but there is a spiritual danger. So that's what Jesus was confronting. Verse 17. He said, you say, I am rich. I have acquired it too, this wealth. So I do not need a thing. Now, now in this, um, Laodicea was a rich city. It was the banking center of all of Asia Minor. Uh, They were known to have more wealth than any of the other cities. And in fact, when an earthquake hit that city, and those of you who've been here, earthquakes hit this area many, many times. And in the other cities, they didn't have enough, and the emperor would have to step in and rebuild the city. Well, here the emperor volunteered to come in and rebuild the city, and they said, no, we don't need you. We can do it ourselves. Kind of like my kids would say to me, you want me to help you? I can do it by myself. And that whole attitude had made its way into the church and even to people's relationship with God. Where the Bible turns to us and says, we need to admit that we are poor. We need to admit that we need forgiveness, that there are things in our lives that must change. We act as if, well, I, I, I can just handle this all on my own. And essentially Jesus says, you may believe in God, but really you are leaving me outside of your life and outside of your church. Now, I've been thinking about this. Why is it that when things are going well, it is so hard for us to be spiritually productive? Have you ever been to a country or to a church where the people just had nothing? I mean, I really grew up in that sort of setting in West Virginia. When you find a church that just has nothing financially and finds it hard, people help one another. The most welcoming people I've ever seen are often in those settings. The most generous people I've ever met are often in those settings. And sometimes it's where we have the most that all we say is, why isn't God giving me more? What is our problem? And think with me here. I I wrote down two things. Uh, Here's what I, I think it might be. It seems like, one, when we're successful in the world, it really is hard to be radically committed to Jesus. It's hard to take risks. It's much easier to say, well, I have so much invested in the way things are. If I change, it might be uncomfortable. And yet when you invite Jesus into our lives, in fact, the very way he describes himself to this church is I'm the ruler of God's creation in verse 14. When he steps into our lives, you know he's going to redirect us and ask us to step out and, and give witness to him and, and, and to use whatever he entrusts to us to bring his healing to the world. Do you, do you remember the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10? who came to Jesus and said, you know, I believe in God and I've tried to live for God, but something's missing. And Jesus essentially said, do you remember? Oh, here's what's missing. Your life is so tied up around your possessions and your success that you can't respond to God. So your life has become boring. He said, here's what you have to do. Sell what you have, give it to the poor, follow me and you're going to live. You know, you're going to find real life when you get rid of living for possessions. But he couldn't do it. And in that, I, I see that one of the greatest dangers is when we have so much, we sort of settle in. Uh, and, and the second thing, it's like it, but a little different, is that material success can make us feel self-sufficient. 
And, and so we, we just feel like we don't really need God. Excuse me. <clears throat> and that's what was happening in Laodicea. Can you bring me some water there, uh, Liz? Thank you. We'll see if this helps. Maybe I should use mineral oil or something. <clears throat> and then I'd spit it out of my mouth. We'll see if we'll have a visual aid <clears throat> right here. Okay. See, the other services didn't get those, those lines. Here's what Jesus said in verse 17. You say, I am rich, but let me look into your life spiritually. Spiritually, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and you're naked, shamed. Okay. Here we are in Southern California. I've read the articles saying successful people are unhappy people. And that's sometimes true, right? We hear that about sometimes people very successful in entertainment but you you know it's not always true it's not always true Um, some people are very satisfied with what they have and many of you have talked with me about this you've wanted to bring your boss or, or father or someone to church and they've said why should I need God I'm doing well now, people can become very satisfied with their careers and, and their possessions And Jesus says, you should think about this. Those things are not going to last. All thinking people know that if you live for your career, your possessions, your investment, that someday something's going to happen to take those away. Uh, Sickness, age, death. And he is ready. Verse 18 said, I'm going to give you gold that's been refined by fire where those things that don't last might be taken away. But you have something that really lasts that nothing will separate you from God. But you must fall in dependency upon me. But they in Laodicea couldn't do it. And it was because they were the wealthiest of the churches with that banking industry there. They were the healthiest of the churches. They had the major medical center of Asia was right there in Laodicea. It even talks about this salve. I'll give you salve for your eyes so you can really see. Because this world-renowned eye salve was developed right there in Laodicea. And he says that eye salve may help your physical eyes, but you're not even alive to God. And that's what I want to give to you. And what had happened was they had become so self-sufficient. I have. I have gained it. I don't need anything that they left Jesus out. Myra Nolan sent me another picture, and I've got to show it to you. It's appropriate here. It's a, a picture that she must have found somewhere from a dorm, a university or college. I don't know which one. Do you see it up here? It says, warning, keep out. Um, is it up there? Yeah. Oh, a squishy guy can't get in either, can he? Uh, warning, keep out. And it's, it's kind of like some of our kids do to us as parents, right? Uh, But whenever you do that, there's something inside you don't want to change. You don't want anybody to find out about. And that's what he said you are doing to me. Is it possible that Jesus is saying to us something similar to what he said to them? I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. I want to come into your life. And if I come into your life, I'll take you on an adventure. You'll see everybody in a different way. You'll have the hope of the world to offer to all people. But you've got to bring me into your life. Uh, I've sometimes thought, Lord, is it possible that I can be useful to you and wholly committed to you and you don't have to send me trials? (laughs) Anybody else ever pray like that? But if it takes trials to make me depend upon him, Lord, send them. 
Brothers and sisters, he has blessed us countless ways here. If, if we can learn to be thankful for those blessings and, and to put them to his use, I think his blessings can continue to multiply. Because if he has to discipline us, it's only because he loves us. Which brings me to the next point I just want to make quickly. Because I think sometimes when you read these harsh words, they seem like that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're blind to God. We forget that this one who disciplines is so caring. And I've read the caring Jesus who disciplines. And what I want you to know is that when Jesus speaks corrective words, he only does it because he loves you. Uh, I don't want you to go away without knowing that. That whenever hard things come into our lives, it isn't because he wants to just be punitive with us. He, he really loves us. Uh, my mom in West Virginia, she's about five feet tall. She's a bigger than life personality. And sometimes she would come to me and say, Greg, <clears throat> I got to discipline you. Go out and pick out your own switch. That's what she did because she was going to discipline me. And then she would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I don't know if, didn't know if I believed a word of that. But I know it was true. That if discipline takes place, not in a context of love, but of anger, it only destroys, leads to resentment. But if, if, if discipline takes place in the context of love, it can be so restorative. And, and Jesus says, I love you too much to let you waste your life. I, I've made you human in my image so that you can carry my message to the world so that you can bring my healing to a hurting world. And if I have to speak words of discipline, it's only because I love you with an everlasting love. Let me come in. Let me come in, he says. And you will see what I will make of you. And I, I just tell you, it will be beautiful. Which brings me to the last point. This is the formal invitation again. I just want you to know Jesus is ready to come in. He's ready to come into your life. He's ready to come into our church in a new and fresh way. Uh, again, that verse. And, and Annie Newfield, all the way from Cambodia, sent me another uh, verse here, a picture here I want you to see. Can we put that up? Oh, the other picture, the picture. Ah, the, uh, a door closed, but the light of the world. Ready to come in. Saying, here I am. Ah. I am standing at the door, knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come in. I'll eat with you and you with me. H have you invited him in? If you say, but, but I've got all these things in my life, he won't want me. He wants you. You say, uh, I'm, I'm too messed up. I can't be changed. He can change you. I've got all this stuff. It can't be forgiven. He can forgive you. <laughs> he is ready to come in and to do life with you and make you alive to God. Maybe today's the day to bring him in. And to us as a church, don't you feel like so many times we could be doing like they were doing. Just think, they were probably having a service like we're having, all ages there, singing the songs away. Um... Bringing the offerings to God. Doing what church was always, always did in church. Sermon went forward. <laughs> but Jesus wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. <laughs> uh, it can happen. 
You want to pray with that picture of Annie's? I just thought, Lord, I pray that everybody who walks in the Lake Avenue Church knows that you are in this place. That it will be, we will be so alive to you. And it will be so alive to the light of God's word and God's spirit and God's presence. That you'll know that God is in this place. That God is real. And therefore tomorrow can be different from yesterday because he is real and he can change things. I think on that particular day as people were there, I, I can almost imagine uh, what was happening in church. That here and there, in that self-satisfied, smoothly operating church, a few ears started to be opened. I can imagine a, a few hearts started to say, you know, I have been rather self-directed, self-dependent, leaving God out of my daily life. Yes, I think there's something I need to hear. Uh, I can envision a few tears beginning to be shed and even from some, a, a few new vows of rededication beginning to happen, saying, Lord Jesus, I want to be both hot and cold. I want to be hot and bring your healing to hurting people you bring across my path. I want to bring the cooling message of the gospel to so many people who wonder where is life headed. And I think those people experienced in a new way the presence of Jesus in their lives and left that church ready to make a difference. Is that happening today? Are you one of those responding? Let me end this entire series with the same invitation that Jesus used throughout all of them. If anyone has ears, hear, hear what the Spirit says. And today he says, Bring Jesus in again and follow him wherever he leads you. To his glory. Amen. Let me, let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, if there's some here today who have never really responded to you, have never w- welcomed you into their lives, Our prayer in the name of Jesus is that this would be the day that as much as a person may understand, they will say, God, I believe you're real. I want to know you. So here are my sins. Will you forgive them? And he will. Here's my life. I am going to follow Jesus. Will you pray something like that? I'll place my faith, my trust in Jesus. He'll come in. He'll come in. Oh, I, I, even now I remember that time when, when he came into my life. Lord, come in in a new and fresh way now, I pray. And for our church here at Lake, Father, you have put us in this wonderful community, but where so many people need to know the refreshing news of Jesus need to know the healing and caring of Jesus. We're here and we're supposed to flow 
your water out in this neighborhood. Father, we surrender ourselves to you. May your water flow in us and do its healing, refreshing work so you can flow through us. And that many, many in this neighborhood may come to know how much you love them, may come to know the life that you would have them to have. Father, for all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.